up in Scripture one of the most exciting themes I think that there is for us to ponder, and that is the blessed hope of the believer, what we've called a meeting in the air. The last time we talked together about this theme, the end of the age, we talked about the fact that in this present age in which we live, the tares and the wheat are sown together. That is, there are those who are true children of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then there are those who are not the true children of God, but who are the counterfeits. And as we saw in the parable Jesus told in Matthew 13, those counterfeits are placed into the professing church by Satan. It's not really our business to try to separate the true from the counterfeit. Our job in this world is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the Lord may use that message to call out his body. The time of separation is going to come at the end. But right now it's good for us to remember that within the professing sphere of Christendom, there are those who are truly the children of God and there are those who, while professing, while using some of the same language that we might use, are not genuinely the children of God. By their fruit, Jesus said, you will know them. We also saw that this age is going to close with an increasing moral and spiritual apostasy. That is, there is going to be an increasingly broad and deep movement away from this book. A movement away from the revelation which God has infallibly given to us in the Bible. This will take place within the professing Christian church, within Christendom. That's where the apostasy takes place. In the last days, we can expect what I suppose will be a rather large ecumenical movement with many groups getting together on a certain basis, calling themselves the Christian church, calling themselves the church of Jesus Christ, calling upon him as Lord and yet denying him and denying the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only atonement there is for the sin of man. Each of the ages which have preceded this, and I personally believe that in the total outline of time that there are seven of these ages, each of them has ended in judgment. God has given to man during each of these ages a certain test. Inevitably, man has failed that test, and that age has ended in judgment. Sometime we may go back and trace that through the scriptural record of history. But tonight I want you to notice with me that this age in which we live, likewise, is going to end not in uh, more people coming into the kingdom and peace being gradually established and the name of Christ being called upon more and more by people and finally Jesus comes gloriously. But rather this age is going to end not only with an apostasy, but with a terrible and awful series of judgments which God will pour out upon the earth dwellers, as they are called in the book of the Revelation. 
that period of time, that period of judgment, when these series of judgments are poured out, is often called the tribulation period. It is our conviction that that tribulation period is going to be signaled, it's going to be initiated by what we're talking about tonight, and that is the rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our subject this evening. We believe that the rapture of the church is the next event on God's calendar. Now we need to ask two or three questions in order to get to the heart of this subject. First of all, what is the rapture? Well, you will not find that word in your Bible concordance. It does not occur in the English translation of the Bible. Then you say, we believe a doctrine where the word is not even found in the Bible. Yes, just as surely as we believe in the Trinity. And the word Trinity is never found in the Bible. Yet the word Trinity describes accurately a doctrine which the word of God teaches to us, just as the word rapture describes to us an event which the word of God predicts. Now, the word rapture actually comes from a Latin word, which is translated from the Greek word in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, caught up. There was a Latin translation of the New Testament made centuries and centuries ago. And when they came to that particular Greek word, caught up, they used the word, the Latin word, from where we get the word rapture. So that is its origin. The Greek word, and that of course is the language in which the New Testament was written, and it might be good for you to turn on to 1 Thessalonians 4 right now, because that is the text we'll be looking at. The Greek word here in verse 17 for caught up means to snatch away by force. It means to seize, as if you were to seize the hand of a child and remove him from the path of an automobile. It means to remove in the face of danger. An interesting word in the light of the events that we expect at the end of this age. Now we ask the question, who is involved in the rapture? Who is involved in this catching up, in this seizure that we're talking about? Well, it's not enough simply to say that it's the saints of God, because there are many saints of God scattered throughout the Old Testament. And we do not believe the rapture will include those in the Old Testament. Neither is the word elect uh, usable here, because the word elect refers to Old Testament saints as well. Who is going to be raptured? The answer to that is, as we understand the Word of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that body of people who have been called out during this age to belong to the Lord Jesus. I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 15, where we don't see the word church used, but we see a good definition of it. Acts 15 and in verse 13. <clears throat> and after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Now that last clause in verse 14 is a fairly decent understanding of the church. Certainly there are those who are Jews 
who've been saved during this age and who are part of the church, a remnant of Israel has been saved. But by and large, those who have been saved in this age in which we now live have been Gentiles. What is God about in this age? It is that he is taking from among the Gentiles, from among the nations, a people for his name. And he goes on to say, and with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now what is the speaker saying here? Well, he is saying that the prophets agree with what has taken place. It's not that the Old Testament predicted the church because they did not. The church is a mystery that was not revealed until this age in which we live. But the Old Testament prophets agree with. In other words, what has happened fits into their scheme of things. And what the, the speaker here, James, is pointing out is that the prophets said... Amos in view. After these things I will return. What things? Calling out of the Gentiles for his namesake. After that, the Lord says, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. In other words, God is not finished with the Jewish nation. God still has a purpose for Israel and he will fulfill that purpose after these things have been completed. That is, the calling out of a Gentile, primarily, people for his name's sake. So who is involved in the church? Who is the church? It is those who are called out in this age, mostly of Gentile, somewhat of Jew. <clears throat> now we have talked about that subject in the book of Ephesians, so I'm not going to belabor it. Let us come to our text, which is in 1 Thessalonians 4, and see how the rapture will occur. We have some wonderful words here of the Savior given through the Apostle Paul, Acts, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if, better, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. How will the rapture occur? Well, I, I think we see in this key passage some important facts about it. First of all, the Lord himself is going to be involved in the rapture. It says that the Lord himself will descend from heaven, where he is now, at the right hand of God the Father. He is not going to send angels for us, and they then return us to heaven. But it says that he himself is going to descend from heaven. Just as a bridegroom comes personally for his bride to receive her, so will our heavenly bridegroom come to receive us, his bride, the church. 
it says here that he is going to come with a shout. Now that's an interesting idea, isn't it? The word shout was used in that day in the military. It is the shout or the command of a military officer or leader. It is a summon. It is a call. The Lord is going to come from heaven, and uh, not to the earth, but come from heaven into the visible atmosphere of the world. And from that point it says he is going to shout. Now exactly what he is going to say we are not told in Scripture. It may be that he is going to say something like he did at the tomb of Lazarus when he said, Lazarus what? Come forth. Or it may be that he will use those words that were spoken to the Apostle John in Revelation 4.1 when John was bidden, come up here. And John was removed from the Isle of Patmos up into the heavens to see those things which will surely come to pass on the earth. Someone has said perhaps he will use those words from the Song of Solomon which say, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Whatever it is our Lord will say on that day, you and I who know him will hear his voice. We need not wonder if we're going to be listening to something else or too busy to hear it. I will guarantee you that you will hear his voice on that day. For his voice will be as the voice of a commander ordering you and me to appear in his presence immediately. And it says, with the voice of the archangel. With the voice of an angel. What a, a, an amazing statement that is. I don't understand that to mean that an angel is going to shout, but rather that our Lord's voice will be with the authority, as it were, of an archangel, one of, a, of great authority. And it says, furthermore, that on that occasion there will be the trumpet of God blown. Now what is the significance of a trumpet? <clears throat> well a trumpet is used in ancient Israel to call the people together. They of course did not have communications as we do today and even up until recently within the last hundred years or so armies were ordered into battle, they were ordered into uh, camp, they were ordered to sleep, they were ordered to rise, they were ordered to retreat by a trumpet. The bugler would give a certain sound and the troops knew exactly what to do. Well the idea is here that there will apparently be the sound of a trumpet and that trumpet sound will be our signal to look up and to come together. Now there are those who confuse the trumpet judgments in Revelation with this trumpet. And they sometimes identify the seventh trumpet that is sounded in Revelation with this trumpet because it is the last trump, as it is, or the last trumpet as it is called in 1 Corinthians 15. I do not understand that the same way. Those trumpets in Revelation are trumpets of judgment, not of summons to salvation. And then there are those who identify it with the trumpet, uh, that trumpets that are mentioned in Matthew 24, 31. And I again do not identify it with those trumpets. I believe this is a, a unique trumpet sound 
that is, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, in response to that sound of the trumpet, the dead in Christ shall rise first. It is wonderful to note that death has not annihilated our loved ones who have gone on before us in Christ. Death has not blotted them out. We can no longer speak with them. Uh, we are unable to, to see them and to express our love to them as we could when they were with us. But they are still very truly in existence. Their bodies have been buried. But their spirits, the essence of who they were, their life principle, their force of life is with the Lord in heaven. And indeed we see that earlier here for it says in verse 14, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. He is going to bring them with him because they are now in heaven with him. And they will be with him as he returns. Fallen asleep, does that mean that they have in fact uh, dozed off for a few decades, a few hundred years, waiting until that time that they would be awakened from the dust? Not at all. The term fallen asleep here is a picturesque term of what happens to the body. But it does not describe the condition of their soul. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and one does not sleep in the presence of the Lord. Death did not annihilate them. Death did not separate them from the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, death took them to his presence. And they are kept safe there. And uh, they are going to one day return with our Lord as he comes. And the very first thing that will happen after that trumpet sounds is that their bodies are going to be miraculously brought back. Even though they may have decayed and gone to dust, their bodies will be resurrected from the grave anew. A glorious body like Christ's body of glory. And their spirit and body will be reunited once more. At just what point in the air or still there at the point of the grave, we are not told. But it happens so instantaneously, it's hardly worth talking about that point. For their bodies are raised and they are reunited forever to be complete and whole, never to face death again, never to go through that valley once more. They are together forever. And as soon as that happens, it says, then we who are alive and remain. And notice that Paul expected to be alive on that day. I'll come back to that in a moment as we talk about the eminency of Christ's return. But we can say that today because we are alive on the earth. We who are alive and remain. And should we pass from this scene and there be a hundred years from now, another generation looking at this same text, they will be able to say the same thing we say tonight that we who are alive and remain on that day shall be caught up. That is, we will be caught up together with these who have been raised. Caught up together with them in the clouds, or in clouds is, is how some understand that. Certainly it will be in the atmosphere of the clouds. That is where the reunion will take place with them and with our Lord. But it may picture here clouds of believers, as it were, arising from the continents of the earth. If you can just imagine yourself standing back from the earth on that day, watching the events taking place, 
and seeing from here in this great continent of Africa, this cloud of saints being caught up into the sky to meet the Lord. And that is true in every part of the world. Perhaps that is the picture that is used here. And it says that we are caught up together with them. Our bodies are changed in that moment. No longer will we have a body like we do now. But it will be a different kind of body. Identifiable with this one. But a different body. A body like Christ. And then it says caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The picture here is of a face to face meeting. In the atmosphere. I like that. Because that's the very place of Satan's domain. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. His domain at the present time is the atmosphere of this world. And it seems to me that our Lord is is calling together his people in victory. In the very midst of Satan's domain. And Satan can do nothing about it. As God's people gloriously are brought together in the church for the first time. Time since those early days after Pentecost, because soon after that it was scattered, for the first time we are all brought together. We who are a part of this body of the Lord Jesus Christ, this unique group of people being called out in this age. And we are together with the Lord. And it says, so shall we ever be with the Lord and with each other. Well, when is the rapture going to occur? Well, you got your watch out? It does no good to look at a watch or to look at a calendar because we can't date the rapture that way, can we? There's a word that we use to talk about the rapture and its timing, and that word is the word imminent. It is a word which means that it can happen at any moment. Notice that the Apostle Paul felt it could have happened in his day. The point is that there was nothing, as far as the apostle was concerned, that needed to precede this event. There was nothing, as far as he was concerned, that had to happen before the rapture. He felt that the rapture could have happened at any moment in that day. It was not God's time. Likewise, we believe today it can happen at any moment. This may not be God's time. It may not be, but I believe as we look around us and as we'll be talking in weeks to come that we indeed are living in that day. I believe that this is the terminal generation of this age. The Lord could come at any moment. There are no signs that have to precede it. There are signs that need to take place before he comes back to the earth. But that's not what we've been reading about in 1 Thessalonians 4. This is his coming back into the air, into the atmosphere of the world, to call up there into his presence, the church. He does not then come on down to the earth. He returns on back into the heavens. And there are some things that will take place, and we'll be studying about those. There are signs that must precede his second coming to the earth, but nothing needs to happen before he comes for the church in the rapture. Now, as I have outlined this, obviously my position and the position that we teach at our church is what is called a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. In other words, we believe the Bible teaches that the rapture of the church will occur before the tribulation. 
And I want to hasten to say that there are fine people, godly people, Bible scholars who believe differently than we do about this. Not everybody can be right on everything. And it may be that we're wrong on this. That's not my conviction or I would believe what I think is right. But I believe that they're wrong. There are those who believe the rapture will occur in the middle of the tribulation. I have a very close friend right here in the Twin Cities who takes that position. He's right on many things, but he's dead wrong on that. And then there are those who believe the, the rapture is going to occur after the tribulation. I have even more problems with that position. You say, well, why do you believe so strongly in a pre-tribulation rapture? Well, I've preached a whole message on that on another occasion, but just a point or two. And I'd like you to turn back earlier here in 1 Thessalonians to see my point. Chapter 1 and verse 10. He says, We have turned from God to God, rather, from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus. And notice the rest of that verse. The wrath which is spoken of here, I believe, is more than eternal hell. In fact, I don't believe that that's what Paul has in mind. I believe the wrath that he is speaking of here is the wrath of God that God is going to pour upon this Christ-rejecting world at the end of this age. It is called in the book of the Revelation a time when the wrath of God and the wrath of the one who sits upon the throne is poured out upon the world. It is an official period when God's wrath will fall upon the unbelieving world as it has not in thousands of years. Indeed, as it has not since the flood. Now what this verse tells us is that we who are looking for the Lord Jesus Christ, who are they? The ones who have turned to God from idols to serve the Lord. He says we are those who are being delivered from the wrath to come. That is, I believe, the tribulation period. A similar thought in chapter 5 and verse 9, where he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are other <coughs> verses in Scripture. For example, uh, Revelation 3.10, which says, I will keep you out of the hour of testing that is coming upon the earth, the hour of tribulation that is coming upon the earth. I believe that that is a verse that applies to a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I won't go any more into detail than that. I think it is significant that when the period of the tribulation is described in some detail, as it is in Revelation chapters 4 through 19, you see absolutely no mention of the church or of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. No mention of it whatsoever. Yes, there are redeemed people on the earth, but not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mentioned in chapters 1, 2, and 3, but not in chapters 4 through 19. And then again mentioned at the end of the book. Why? Because those chapters focus on the wrath of God upon the earth. And I believe the church is not mentioned in that narrative 
because the church is not present in the world during that period of time. A couple of questions that people often ask about the rapture and then we're done. First of all, what about children? Has not every parent of young children wondered, what about my children if the rapture should occur? That is, those who have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ yet because they are not old enough to believe. They're not old enough to understand the gospel. What about our children? Will they be left behind? Well, the first thing we have to confess is that there is no clear scripture on this subject. God has not given us a verse that we can point to that gives us a specific answer. However, I believe that it is consistent with God's past actions to say that he would remove our children with us who have not yet come to an age of accountability. Now, I am not including children who have come to that age of accountability and who have refused to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I am talking about those children who have not yet come to that age where they understand these things. We could go back and talk about Noah and the fact that his family, older to be sure, but God rescued the family of Noah with him. We could talk about Lot and God's attempt to rescue all of Lot's family, but ultimately only two daughters. We could talk about Rahab and the fact that when that judgment came upon Jericho, Rahab and her family were delivered from that. But I think that the strongest past action we can point to is the age of accountability that God apparently drew in the wilderness. The people of Israel rebelled against the Lord in unbelief. And God brought judgment, you remember, on that generation. But God drew a line of responsibility. And the age was 20. And he said, those that age and below will continue to live and may go into the promised land. But everyone above that age is going to die in the wilderness. Well, you say those are uh, not exactly as strong as I'd like them to be. Well, perhaps not as strong as I would like them to be either. But I believe that we can look at those scriptures and from that reason that we need not be alarmed about our children and the rapture. I believe that we can trust the Lord to do what is right and to do what would bring glory to him. And then a second question that is sometimes asked, what about my loved ones, what about my friends who, to whom I've witnessed and who have rejected the gospel? What about them when the rapture occurs? Uh, won't that be uh, an opportunity for them to understand that what I've told them is the truth so that they can then get saved? Won't they believe then, once they see that this tremendous event has taken place, won't they then realize and understand that what I've said to them is true and they will turn to Christ? Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I have bad news for you. I believe that the Word of God indicates that those who have willfully rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ before the rapture of the church will not be saved. 
in the tribulation period. Notice what our Lord says. He talks here about the coming of the Antichrist. He describes him in verse 9 as the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. I tell you, this, this individual is going to be something to behold. He'll even claim to have raised the dead. And it says, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. And he says, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Verse 10, I believe, is a warning of judgment upon those who willfully reject the Lord Jesus Christ, who understand the gospel and knowingly turn against the Lord. I believe that this verse teaches that he, Antichrist, will come and that they who have rejected Christ knowingly will be deceived by his wickedness and that they will perish in their sin. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. I believe that there will be many, many people saved in the tribulation period. They will not be a part of the church. They will be a part of a separate, distinct body, not the church. But untold thousands of people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. But I say sadly, I don't believe that one person who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ before the rapture of the church will be among them. And I say that with sadness because I too have family members that I'm not sure about as far as their relationship to Christ but who I know have heard the truth. And I have friends in the same condition just as you do. And that is not a pleasant thought. And that is one reason that you and I, with urgency, need to implore them to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. For you, you see, in one sense, when we share the gospel with them, we are not only presenting to them the way of salvation, but if they in the hardness of heart choose to reject it, we have given to them their own blindness. That is why the Apostle Paul says, To some we are the savor of life unto life, and to others the savor of death unto death. And who is sufficient for that, he says? Who is sufficient for it? I'll say one thing, that if I'm wrong on this, and I'd like to say I really hope I am, although I don't believe so. If I'm wrong and those people can be saved, they're going to miss out on being a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to miss out on the glorious, marvelous privilege of being a part of that redeemed body that you and I are a part of in Christ. Oh yes, they'll be redeemed. They'll be able to enjoy with us the glories of heaven but we who are a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see, are going to reign with him over the new heavens and new earth. It's not that we are better than anybody else. It is just that God has chosen in his sovereign plan to make us a part of this group. That group that will reign with Christ as his bride, as his co-regent over his new heavens and new earth from his new Jerusalem. And if they can be saved, after the rapture of the church, they will miss out on that privilege. And that in itself is a sad thought for them. As we close tonight, I think we all have to ask the question, are we ready if the Lord should come? 
Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? Young person, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Grandparent, mom and dad. I think one of the most heartbreaking scenes I can think of is that when the rapture of the church take place, takes place, there will be those who will be separated from loved ones. There will be husbands and wives separated. There will be parents and older children separated. Because there will be those who will have believed and taken away with Christ while the others are left to face the awful tribulation coming upon the earth and the deception of Antichrist. Are you ready should our Lord come tonight? And, oh, Christian brother and sister, the exhortation to us is to be faithful. Jesus said, Occupy till I come. He said for you and me to, to be about his business in the world. It's going to get dark. It always does as night comes on. But we are children of the day. We are sons of light. And as God's called out ones in this age, let us be faithful to our Savior. And let us walk with him and know the joy of his fellowship in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I'd like for you to sing with me a chorus only. 466 is the number. I'm sorry the whole hymn is not in our hymnal. But the chorus simply says, when we see Christ, and we'll sing it a cappella. Would you stand with me? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will.